Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Carl Carlson. Hey, Carl. I got an interesting question in the, I think it was, was it through LinkedIn or email? It was email, I think. And um, I don't know, it was actually through the about page on Nosendo. So that little tagline we do at the end of the show. It's, it's working. It's working. Somebody listened to it. Um, but the, they were, the, they, it's, I don't know all the details. It was very, you know, quick email conversation back and forth, but they're working with a, a facility, a plant that has maintenance teams supporting their production line and, and, and that kind of scenario set up. And they're learning about pre- preventative maintenance. They've already installed and have been using uh, oil analysis on their gearboxes and equipment. And mon- instead of replacing the oil or doing maintenance on this rotating equipment on a schedule, they shifted to condition-based monitoring of the oil. And when the oil analysis says, hey, we got to do something here, they go deal with it. And that's a step up, you know, an improvement in, in a lot of different ways. And they said they're also, you know, if something's not crucial but needs attention or they do an inspection when they take the equipment down to change the oil because the analysis says it's time they take that opportunity to update other things or align other things or replace or repair things. And they still have corrective maintenance, you know, when an unexpected downtime occurs and they have scheduled maintenance and they have conditional maintenance. And there's a lot of terms. And the gist of the question was, is that they've imposed the operating manager or the, the uh, plant manager said, well, this is great. Let's, have a measure or a metric on on the team that I want 30% corrective maintenance and 70% preventative maintenance. That's your goal as a team. And the person asking the question to me was, there we need to define what preventative is and what corrective is because they're starting to reclassify different things so they can meet their target. They're changing you know, just because we did an inspection and it was on a schedule, even though it's technically a corrective maintenance because you didn't expect it to occur, they're going to call it preventative maintenance because it was scheduled downtime to go and do the inspection. And of course, we're not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. And my basic answer to him was, at first, he didn't tell me about this metric. I said, why do you need to know the terms of these things? It sounds like you got a pretty decent program going there, you know, double down on doing the root cause analysis and, and preventative maintenance and longer term and stuff like that. And goes, yeah, yeah, we're working on that. But now we have this metric that is altering people's uh, behavior about what they call things. They're, they're gaming the system is the term I would use for it. And I was like, is that really the outcome you this operations manager wanted, <laughs> you know, I can't imagine it would be, but, uh, but on the other hand, I've, I've seen so often that, that, uh, metrics become a numbers game. We, we used to say, and it was driven into me for years and years. If you don't measure it, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. And there's some, some degree of truth to that. But the, the, the question is, what do you do with the metric? 
And if you put too much force on meeting the metric goals, uh, then human nature is to find ways to achieve them uh, that are not necessarily what you want. Uh, I ran into this with uh, what's called RPN thresholds, risk priority number in an FMEA. And then companies for years would put a threshold on it. You may not have more than 80 RPN, Mr. Supplier or Mrs. Supplier. Right. Uh, you, you must, you can't ship it if it's, if you have anything over 80. Well, sure enough, everything was below 80. Yeah, 79. It didn't add any value. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It didn't add any value to the product, but they found ways to uh, to get it underneath that threshold. And the the ratio of corrective to preventive, uh, and I've, it's not the first time I've heard this, I think can ha, is vulnerable to the same type of numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one where they were struggling with the signal that this is a numbers game now or a game was, well, if it was scheduled downtime and we found something that needed repairing, we're going to call that something else. You know, or, you know, it's like we're going to squish what we think these definitions are so that we get more preventative classifications. And I was like, and, and we've heard about balance scorecards and, and KPIs and all these other things. And oftentimes it's like, well, if that is the game and you want more preventative maintenance, it's usually for me, it would be, well, what is it you really want? Is it just more uptime? You want more cost-effective maintenance? Do you want, you know, less unscheduled downtime, um, less downtime completely? What is it you're really looking for? And it's probably got nothing to do with maintenance. It's probably due, due, you know, due to quality of the product or throughput uh, or cost, budgeting. What is the underlying real thing? And then let's, how do we connect that in a way that we have one, two, or five measures that balance it out so that we're not looking at just cost cutting and, and pushing well, the problems I agree. I agree there. Starting with the, the objectives, uh, what are you looking for? I think that's a good idea. Let me also bring in and that the quality of the tasks. So you have preventive maintenance tasks, you have corrective maintenance tasks, and of course there's other types of tasks and what matters most is the quality of those tasks mm -hmm. because they're not all equal. You can have preventive maintenance that, that doesn't add a lot of value, but you could check a box that it's a task done. Well, you see that a lot is did you do the preventative maintenance checks? Did you run this, you know, did you do these five things to this piece of equipment? And it's check, 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 check. And I had one team that they said, well, yeah, he just pencil whips it. He goes, gets a coffee and he doesn't do anything. So the quality of it was it wasn't done, but he does the paperwork. So he gets credit for doing it. And like, uh, it's a problem. No. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, the, the principles involved are so important, like you were bringing out there and putting the thought into uh, what tasks are needed and, and when I get when I do RCM projects, reliability center maintenance, uh, I I use different I use techniques that are well known, which is probably outside the scope of this uh, podcast. But there are really good techniques, a lot of literature, a lot of good books, and 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 even some good standards on uh, on RCM. And the and I usually uh, use some form of FMEA as part of it. Uh, but it's a sort of a modified, I'll call it a maintenance FMEA. But the key is to get the logic right and to deliberate 
on uh, and and to understand the failure distributions if things are failing uh, that uh, how how do they fail uh, so you can then select the right tasks and it's getting the right tasks that is so important uh, I remember a, a story going back a number of years uh, working with a um, Navy Chesapeake Virginia uh, a submarine unit and I was not in the on the submarine but of course this is in the design side and one of the questions had to do with the the uh, blower motor, which is really important, obviously, when you're on mission in a submarine that you have circulating fresh air. And the question was, should we let the what's the what's the strategy? Should we let the blower motor run to failure? Well, of course, if you're out under sea and then it fails, you're under the ice cap or something like that. Yeah, you got a lot of problems (laughs) because you have to 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 get to it uh, can be a problem. And or then what? Then what do we do? Do we uh, obviously we want to design a better motor that lasts a long time? But then how often do we inspect? Do we inspect in dry dock? All those things go into an RCM program and have to be thought through with the right inputs, uh, the right uh, criticality, um, and the right understanding of the the mission that you have, which can be in a plant or it could be in at sea, and. And, and what I'm getting at is the the tasks are not, um, what, what's the word, uniform in right. terms of their value. Yep. Some tasks might be minor, some might be very critical. And so these metrics that sort of divide one by the other uh, add maybe a little bit of value if you look at them, but don't add a lot of value. And they can be misused. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, on the face of it, you're thinking, well, this this app plant manager wants to have more preventative maintenance. So that's a good thing. And we can, if we can prevent problems, that's, that's a good thing. So let's encourage more preventative maintenance. Um, but I think it goes back to what you mentioned, Carl, is that if, if that's the driving thing and it's reinforced and, you know, and, and the team starts playing games on it, that's the time to say, we're missing something here. We're not balancing this out correctly. You know, we don't want to ignore corrective maintenance um, because we still need to keep the line running, um, or defer it. And so that if I don't, one of the things he said they did is that caught his attention was that they had a, a piece of equipment that was a seal broke on it and it was, it was leaking oil, but not critically. So they decided to schedule preventative maintenance on it later in the day and called it correct preventative maintenance because they scheduled it for two o'clock in the afternoon rather than mm. fixing it on the spot when they noticed it. <laughs> it was not, like, not good. That's the numbers game. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're describing the numbers game. And, and if you put too much pressure on a team to come in with certain numbers, then the team will naturally try to find ways to be helpful if i could use that word yeah uh and and help you achieve your numerical goal but let's say you're not the plant manager and as the impression i got this was a reliability engineer or a maintenance engineer that was on that in in this group um and notices this um what can they do how do how do you overcome this such that one you don't throw your colleagues under the bus for trying to do what the boss wants um but how do you get to a point where it's you actually are benefiting the operations of that facility 
without playing a numbers game? What, what can a person do in that situation? You know, an interesting project, and I haven't done this, and so I'm just exploring it with you, is is to identify on the RCM side the the quality objectives. And you brought up objectives earlier. Mm-hmm. What are the quality objectives of an RCM outcome? And, it could, and let me just take one minute or less and, and talk about this from an FMEA standpoint where I have done quality objectives. So people ask, when is an FMEA done or uh, how do you know the FME is valuable? And they say, well, don't we have to wait until um, you've produced the product? And then a number of years later, you look at the warranty. And I go, well, you can't wait that long when you're looking at the quality of an FMEA. So we develop what's called quality objectives. And, and there's 10 of them. And I'll just go over one of them or two of them. One of them is, uh, does the FMEA drive uh, product design improvements if it's a DFMEA mm-hmm. or process improvements if it's a process FMEA. And that's really easy to assess because you look down the recommended actions and see if you're actually improving the product by yeah. doing the recommended actions. If you're just doing a bunch of testing at the end of the line, you haven't changed the product at all. <laughs> exactly. And so then, then, so that would meet that quality objective. And so there's a set of those, you know, is, is the FMEA done during the right timing? If you do it real late, then it doesn't add a lot of value. If you do it earlier, it adds more value. Mm-hmm. And so those quality objectives work really well for assessing the quality of the FMEA. And we could do the same thing for RCM and maintenance and develop a set of quality objectives. And then now we can look at, is that RCM project really a good quality project or not? Is it actually adding value as opposed to focusing on metrics that can be um, adjusted too easily, like divide preventative by, I'm sorry, preventive by corrective. And and maybe you want a ratio of six and you're doing good if you get that. That's not, that's not going to get you a high quality product. Yeah. And the hard part, and I've run into this a couple of times where uh, maintenance managers are saying, you know, I don't have time to go inspect everybody's, you know, job. They, I've got 20 people out working on this, that, and the other thing. And even if I spot check it, that's too much time. I need to trust my team to actually execute the repairs correctly. And I get that. I think there's trust and training and and setting expectations and stuff that plays a role in that. Yet what I found, and this is just me as a statistician looking at the data going, if you're back out to that piece of equipment six times in a week doing essentially the same thing, um, maybe we're not emphasizing root cause analysis here enough, you know, maybe we're, there's some other systemic thing that's causing this to go bad very often, or what can we learn here? But that wasn't anybody's metric or anything, any goal. But when I tied it to the overall downtime, if we could fix it right the first time, then we're not out there six times in the same week trying to sort out the the same problem that got their attention. And so it was, kind of fix right the first time and then look at repeated calls to that equipment or piece, you know, failure mechanism, whatever. But that was still another measure. And some, there's a balance of, well, if, if I want to fix it right the first time, it might take me a week of downtime to really understand it and sort it out and get the right parts. Well, the plant manager is not going to accept that. <laughs> You know? Yeah, and, and and don't yeah I agree and and don't get me wrong uh, and I don't mean just you Fred but if, if people are listening there there's nothing wrong with having metrics uh, it's how you use them 
and you've said this forever, Fred, how, how do you use the results of a project? How do mm-hmm. you use the data? Yep. And so I wouldn't mind seeing a metric of prevention divided by corrective uh, type tasks just to see how it's looked at. I, I see how it's going, but only as a one of many things to look at and not too much pressure put on that as a as a metric. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you get into the numbers game. It's kind of like control charts. Control yep. charts can be really good if you know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. No, They're if you just if you yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah, if you're just filling them out and and in ignoring the out of control situation because the emphasis is on keep it running. <laughs> I've seen that. Oh yeah. Before. Imagine imagine if you if you said to nobody would do this, but imagine you said, okay, uh, you're going to your pay is going to be correlated to your control chart. Oh, no, I saw something exactly like that, Carl. I was in a factory. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. No, it was shift by shift. Their bonus was part tied to their uptime um, by shift. And yeah, okay. So imagine all the ways somebody can can achieve uptime. Oh, without defer a everything. Product. Everything yeah. was deferred to the next shift. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They re- yeah. Even though they have professed that they did preventative maintenance, they did all these good things and everything else. I went to like three different shift handovers and they're like, oh yeah, this one over here is starting to sound a little wonky. And I was like, wait a second, it's smoking. <laughs> it's, it's about yes. ready to catch on fire. Why didn't you <laughs> shut that down? And, you know, and, but no, it was, there's a great big wall chart that showed the uptime instantaneously on that line by shift and all three shifts were listed there and they got a uh, points basically for their quarterly bonuses based on who yeah. was number one, two, and three. Yeah, oh my God. And and I, I've seen, I've seen a plant and I don't mention names here that where they're focused on safety. So they keep track of safety incidents and yeah. of course the goal is zero. Right. And, and somebody has, you know, pinches their finger up. Well, that's not a safety incident. There's no big deal. Uh, no big deal. Uh, so you got to be careful about that, but we, we only have a few minutes left. And what can we do? Let, very common scenario is you're introducing a maintenance program into a plant or uh, managing assets that is mostly corrective. They've they've not been preventive, but everybody's busy. And of course, they're busy because they're fixing things that, mm-hmm. that have problems more often than they would have if if we had prevented. But you're in that environment so what can you do as a maintenance person uh, to, in the middle of this, like if the train's already going at 100 miles an hour, um, how do you change the, the, um, the process, the maintenance tasks in the middle of all that so you get uh, benefit? Any thoughts on uh, the advice we give people? Yeah, the one you're talking about is the quality of the work being done. And, and even in a corrective maintenance realm, getting it, getting the repair or the fix or the adjustment right the first time, that helps. But if you want to in, improve uh, condition-based monitoring or, or, or uh, preventative maintenance, is carve out one or two things that are examples of preventative maintenance and then document that that line now, that prototype, that piece of equipment now has less downtime. Right? in or better quality throughput or whatever is what's important to the plant is it throughput is it cost is it you know uh, quality of the product being produced or whatever it is but connect the benefit of the fmea or the preventative maintenance or the condition-based maintenance even if it's just a 
pilot or a prototype, carve out a little bit of space to show it, but then document the connection to the bigger picture. And then there might be, you know, there might be other metrics and measures to to connect to it, but it's what's the big picture. And if you can connect it to that, it starts to show to the powers that be basically that this is useful. We need to double down on it. Okay, that that's a good suggestion. And so you're basically introducing some quality objectives into the into the work, and then carving mm-hmm. out some time to do a better job. Uh, that, that'll get better effectiveness of the corrective actions, right. and uh, that uh, have to be done. And then another thing you could do, and it's an it's an investment, and and it it, it literally is an investment because it's going to take some time up front. But you have to set aside some time or some team to work on the future program prevention tasks. In other words, uh, an FMEA or a maintenance FMEA that supports RCM that drives the right preventive actions that are high quality uh, that gets introduced into the plant. Uh, you can't just let everything run all the time in a corrective mode. So yet there's definitely things that, that should be done uh, but we want to avoid the numbers game. Yeah. And there's also just, you've got all this data now, assuming the data is collected and honest, you know, and clearing, mm-hmm. um, which it probably isn't. But look at it going, you know, these 15 things, if we did preventative maintenance once every, once a month, we would avoid these 15 problems. So you could do predictive based on actual data saying, you know, these kinds of failures, the nature of those failures are such that we can avoid those. You know, if we get one hour a week to, to, properly lubricate this equipment that won't happen we won't see so prioritize and and essentially the 80 20 rule yeah where you're you're focusing on the vital few that get the most well there's some things um like a forklift drives into the side of your equipment um setting up barriers and doing training and so on will help but hopefully it doesn't happen too often those are hard to prevent is is like lubrication, it would be, or monitoring your lubrication. And going back to this one scenario that was the, this listener uh, pointed out, it was like, we're doing condition-based monitoring of our oil, and we change oil and do the maintenance on that equipment when the oil tells us it needs to be done, um, which has given them some great benefits, um, is connect that to that process that it's connected to those quality objectives, those important things that are there, and show that it doesn't really matter if you call it corrective or preventative or condition-based monitoring. If the end result is that you get a, a stable, consistent, cl- uh, quality-running facility, that's the, the overall objective. It's not that's the objective. Metric. Yeah, I bet we've. Uh, I bet our listeners have some ideas also on this subject, and, and if people have stories. Uh, we to share with us. We'd love to hear them yeah. on this whole subject of uh, of the right way to do things and the numbers game that can uh, introduce the wrong behaviors, and uh, particularly in the uh, maintenance of assets. Yeah. So how do they uh, get in touch with us? Well, Carl, you've only heard this like 150 times. <laughs> head over to ascendoreliability.com/go/sor. A couple of ways there. Plus, you, Carl and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn or our about pages. And I want to shout out thanks to the uh, and I'm drawing a complete blank on the name. Um, 
uh, for sending this uh, question over. We traded a few emails and hopefully you got a, a reasonable approach going forward. And, and always, Carl, when I talk to you about these kinds of questions, it's like, oh, I need to write him another note saying, here's some more ideas for you. <laughs> uh, so hopefully if you've got a question, if you're listening and you got a question, let us know. We'll try to respond to you as soon as we can and give you some advice or cl- under, try to understand what you're dealing with and, and help you out. Uh, but they also make a, usually make a good podcast for us. So we do really appreciate your input, questions, and ideas. Ditto, ditto. All right. Thanks, Carl. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. And, um, you too, Fred. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check what metrics my wife has in store for me today. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. You got the right approach. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.